You know, the Bible says that deep cries unto deep at the sounds of your waterfalls. <laughs> oh, man. I always think of Jacob when he wrestled with God. You know, but the Bible says that Jacob was a mama's boy. It's true. It says he lived in tents and his mama loved him. He was scared of his brother. So he wasn't necessarily a big, strong, muscular guy. But it says that he wrestled with God and there was such a tenacity that God said, I got to let you go. I can't keep at this, Jacob. And I always ask, what, what were they wrestling with? There, there was a depth. There is a depth of longing and wanting God as much as God wants us. See, when the Bible says deep, cries to deep at the sounds of, you haven't even tapped into God yet, I don't think. The layers of who he is. When, when, when we talk about going higher and deeper, there are layers and levels to God that we have not even touched. But it comes when a person begins to pursue him. I love them that love me. And those that seek me will find me <laughs> if you seek me with all of your heart those that seek me in the morning time I don't think it's talking about when you wake up it's talking about the first thing on your mind is I got to get a little bit more of God I got to get a little higher I got to get a little deeper somebody needs to go a little higher today anybody remember what book we were in the Bible who said that who said that I gotta watch this group when my iPad started messing up they said look on with a real Christian pastor it's people too quick out here first Corinthians first Corinthians chapter 5 now, we're, look at someone and say, it's about to get interesting. <laughs> when we go through scripture, sometimes scriptures come about that read us. And it might feel like I'm talking to you, but we're just reading through the Bible, okay? So if you feel something, that's, uh, that's the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I have a video that I'm going to show, but I'm going to read this passage first, and then we're going to jump into it. Excuse the poor quality of the video, uh, but the only way I could get it was from a recording of the actual taping. But you'll get the point of the video as long as it plays. Stand with me briefly. Just in honor of the word of God, we're going to stand together. First Corinthians chapter 5, if you're there, say, I'm there. Almost there. It says this, it says, it is actually reported that there, now mind you, this is a letter written to a church, that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans don't tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. They're boasting about this. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch. Say unleavened. As you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, I'm not talking about the people of the world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Don't even eat with those folks. Snap. <laughs> 
What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel that person from amongst you. Oh, I thought this was a place of love. Let's start, you all can have a seat in the presence of the Lord, and let's start this video. that shape our beliefs now. The black church is rooted in activism and has historically served as a second family. But what happens when your family doesn't accept you? For this discussion, we've added to the panel a few new faces. Thank you all so much for being here. Now, to start off this conversation, I want to take a look at a clip from the documentary, The New Black, that illustrates the complicated relationships some black churches have with being in. The gay thing is something black church has not quite been able to grapple with. We think it's a white man's disease that it was contagious and it got on us. Pastor Coach, let me start with you. What has the black church gotten so wrong, in your opinion, about this topic? Well, I think what what the black church has gotten wrong is the idea that homosexuality is a sin. There's this idea that homosexuality is an abomination, that same-gender love and same-gender sex uh, is a sin against God. And I think it's important for the audience to understand that all of the texts that are typically used to condemn homosexuality are texts that are condemning acts of sexual violence, rape, abuse, and exploitation. None of these texts are condemnations of consensual same-gender love. The church, unfortunately, has been responsible for instilling a great deal of hurt and harm to the very people who need hope and healing. And I think it's very important that we really reclaim these texts for LGBT community. Pastor, Pastor Brian, who joins me on Skype there in Baltimore, to that question in particular, do you believe that being gay is a sin? I absolutely do. The problem that the church has made is that we have honed in on that one issue and dismiss everything else. If I'm castigating homosexuality, but I don't say anything about adultery, I don't say anything about gambling, I don't say anything about robbing, then I think that that's out of order. But if we just nitpick just one sin, uh, I think that that's where uh, the inconsistency works. Yeah, Pastor I have to bring you in here because when we, we say you say we're nitpicking, right? Um, but no one is necessarily telling the adulterer to get out of the church. We're not treating those other sins the same as we're treating. Thank you. You are an openly gay pastor. Now, listening to Pastor Brian here, that can't exist. So I'm glad to be able to sit here and have this conversation because the the authentic audacity that I sit in in this seat, I got from the black church. I was born a fat, black, athletic, gay nerd in the projects of Southwest D.C. and got my behind kicked every day about one of those things. And it was going to the church and finding out about the real love of God. Like, I made you just as you are, now go do you. And, you know, that me was cool when I was the eloquent one who memorized the scripture, you know, and verse. But when I stood up in the fullness of myself, there was a problem. And so what I appreciate is that we talk about authenticity, but the black church and hip-hop together gave me audacity. Because you don't get to be black in America unless you're bad enough to just do it. As I'm growing up, I always... I was picked on, called those type of fat sissies and this and that. When people used to call me gay and say you're going to hell, the first thing I would say was, God created me and he made me and he knew who I am before I was even put on this earth. So when people say, oh, you made that decision to turn gay or you wasn't born like that. No, I was, this is something that I didn't ask for. It was something from small. It was nothing that I made the decision and turned to switch on and then went on the other side. Simple question, are people born gay? There's no question about it that, that people are born gay. And I think it's important for us to help our gay and lesbian sisters and brothers know that we love them regardless of who they are. You cannot tell the story of black people of America without talking about the involvement of our gay and lesbian sisters and brothers. You cannot talk about the black church, about black music, about <clears throat> black preaching, past and presence, about black politics, about the civil rights movement, past and present, without talking about the contribution <sighs> of gay and lesbian sisters and brothers. Well, let me step in here. Karoma, you were trying to get in there. Go ahead, brother. I am an openly gay, proud man, have been since I came out on MTV's Real World until this day. 
And the thing is, I'm also an ally for the black church. I go to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, and I'm proud to be in that church. And if there's anyone at home that doesn't feel comfortable, I want to tell you it is your job to get in that church and to change it. You have the power. And so if your pastor is telling you that you are less than, you need to go into that church and remind him that you are more than that. Pastor Brian, I want to bring you back in here <laughs> and get your response to what you've heard, especially from Bromo, who was speaking there quite passionately, that... You need to change, your church needs to change if you have any problem with gay people. I think that we've got to disavow the whole notion that if you disagree theologically that that means you're gay bash. Uh, I think that we also have to move to the place of how do we disagree uh, in love and move into a place of understanding it may not be the general consensus uh, of that studio. But does that mean that I hate my dear brother? Absolutely not. I can disagree with him and disagree with him in love without sending him to hell. No, that's, 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 a, that's a very, it, that's a very inadequate, uh, uh, a very uh, a wrong way of putting this. There's no way that you can disavow those things, especially when you have black, gay, and bisexual men at a rate of six to ten getting HIV. It's because of the hate speech that you are spitting out. So you can't say that I want to sit here and disagree with you, but I still love you because what you're doing is you're damaging people and you're taking down their self-esteem, which makes them at risk for high-risk behavior. And so don't try to put it in some spin. You don't love me, you don't love me, but it's all right because I love myself and I love every single gay person in this room enough for you, and I know that God loves me as well. Pastor Brian, go ahead. I didn't want to give you a chance to respond. Go ahead. I, I, I don't think in any way that I was uh, transmitting uh, hate speech because mm -hmm. I disagree. And so I think that it's disingenuous on the other side to say, if you don't agree with me, that you do reverse discrimination to say that it isn't that language of hate. And in our church, we offer support. We offer counseling. Pastor Brian, you said something very important that a lot of people are going to pick up on. You said you offer counseling at your church for gay people. When you say counseling, is this in some way trying to get them to not be gay anymore? Or you're talking about just what you see as support for their lifestyle, quote unquote. I, I think that it, it just would both. I, I passed a congregation of atheists. It people can be cured from being your gay so I think that people can be transformed from their way. Well, I wanted to start off with uh, that video. I, first off, uh, I, I agree with Pastor Jamal Bryant. I'm glad that he had the nerve to actually stand up for something in the midst of that type of a thing. But here's the beauty of Scripture. We don't have to actually talk about specifics to hear the Lord's reasoning on a subject. So let's just go to him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that these issues are not something new that are invading our lives, but this is the reality that we see in the churches, even that Paul planted in the first century. So God, help us understand what it is you want from us and flesh it out in our minds so that we can be better as your church in the earth, God. We bless you today. Calm our hearts in your presence and teach us from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say amen. The best. I almost wanted to open it up for discussion, but I don't want to riot in here. You know how people get when they start talking. Uh, but the best argument for the power of the gospel message is this. A changed life. The best argument we have of the gospel actually working. We okay? What's wrong? You need something, Joe? Hold on. Me and Joey are having a private conversation right here. We're okay? Okay. All right. It's a changed life. Ravi Zacharias says this. He said, the world knows that Jesus has saved us from the guilt of sin, but they are waiting to see if Jesus can save us from its power. The world knows that Jesus has saved us Christian folk from the guilt of our sin, but they're waiting to see if Jesus can save us from sin's power. The secular world is always in a position of scrutinizing the church in the hope of finding a way to discredit or prove there is some inconsistency or something wrong. The question I wanted to ask today is this, does your life affect the witness of the church. 
See, we're still on the same topic. We've been talking about what it means to be the church, and we've talked about uh, disunity and all this type of stuff and how we need to love one another. But then Paul doesn't leave us there. He gets into the issue of sexual immorality, and he starts with this case of what would be called incest. A guy and, and, and with his mom, and, and he gets into the issues of immorality. Are you surprised at all that sexuality was a problem in the church, in the early church? Are you surprised by that? Is there anybody surprised by this? This has been going on for 2,000 years. It's, it's an, it was an issue then. Are we surprised that it might still be an issue with us? It shouldn't be surprised because this is the history of humanity. I was reading this article uh, this morning in, in uh, Christianity Today. Hold on one second. I'm going to see if this works without my case on. Hold on. And in Christian, hold on one second, church. This good old technology. That's what I need a new iPad. Listen to this. He's talking about how we've separated sexuality from social context. And, and I thought this was so interesting. It said it occurred in five phases. The separation of sex from procreation through contraception. Then from marriage with the rise of cohabitation. Then from partnership as sex becomes temporary and recreational. Then from another person through the explosion of online pornography, and finally, from our own bodies, through questioning the very categories of male and female. And he says, in making sex so easy and individualistic, we have cheapened it and thereby emptied it of its power. That's amazing to me. This is the history of humanity. And I always like to point out in Leviticus chapter 18, you could turn there if you want, but just jot a note in there that God, this, this is so embedded in our humanity that when God brings the people out of Egypt into Canaan, Leviticus 18, he says, I don't want you to be like the people in Egypt where I'm taking you from. And I don't want you to be like the people in Canaan where you're going. Do you realize the whole chapter of Leviticus 18 is about sexual immorality? I don't want you sleeping with animals. I don't want you sleeping with your parents. I don't want you sleeping with your nieces and your nephews. This isn't some idea that this could possibly happen one day. No, he's saying in Egypt, this is what people are doing. And in Canaan, this is what people are doing. And God says, I've, I, this is a distortion of why I've created this in your life. And I want you to be different. Somebody should have said amen there. You know, can we just talk for a moment? See, this is the, the danger of things like pornography. Because there is a desire in us that will always say, I need something a little bit more. Until it becomes distorted into something you never thought it would become. Is this too much for a Sunday morning? Are we all okay? We're all grown folks. Relax. You're members now. You're going to be members now. But we start as Christians, though, we sometimes act, we start acting kind of silly. We say, well, what is the world uh, going through? Why, why, why are these pastors here saying that they're gay now? What is, where, where is it? Look how far we have gone. But part of the reasoning behind us thinking that we've gone too far is we don't know our history. Because in Paul's day, with the, the heyday of Christianity, where it would have just been so awesome to talk with John and people that knew Jesus, that we would have loved, it would have been an awesome time that the, one of the emperor, Emperor Claudius married his brother's daughter, Agrippina. Caligula, another Roman emperor, lived in a constant state of incest with all of his sisters. This is, this is first century stuff, church. Emperor Nero, how many people have heard of Emperor Nero. Well, most Christians know who Nero was because he was the guy that would take Christians and light them up 
on fire in his garden as he would walk through at night. He tortured so many Christians uh, uh, and destroyed the temple. This was, he was one of the worst uh, people ever in terms of Christianity and trying to thwart it. The, sending Christians in, in, into the coliseums and just playing games with their lives. You know, but this guy not only had an incestuous relationship with his biological mother, he murdered his pregnant wife and over the guilt of it decided he was going to marry a woman who was going to be a man. So he took a young man named Sporus and he had him castrated. And then he walked him through all of his wedding and marriage ceremonies and vows and he lived with Nero like he was married to him for the rest of his life. And church... I can't include all of the stories I wanted to include because they are too crass for a Sunday morning. But trust me, it was worse. Look at someone and say, it's nothing new. Don't act like some strange thing is happening. Now, Paul jumps into the issue boldly of immorality in the life of the church. And he gives us some solutions how we get to the other side. You all better start talking to me because if you're too quiet, I'm going to believe that I'm talking to you. Can I get an amen? Okay, just even if it is you, just say amen, pastor. I don't want people looking at me different. But this issue, it says a man has his father's wife. This was not something that just sprouted upon them. It, it was not something new. This had been going on in the church in Corinth for some time. This phrase, a man has his father's wife, almost all scholars are in agreement that this was a man who had an intimate sexual relationship with his stepmother, not his biological mom. It is very probable, see, I'm going to justify it for you real quick, because how could this happen? It's possible that his father is no longer alive or is divorced from this woman, but that's just conjecture. We can't be sure what the scenario was. She was also probably very close in age to the son. And um, it would have been very typical for a divorced man in those days to go and find a younger woman. This is very weird to us. Look at someone and say, that's so surprising. Y'all going to track with me today, right? That's so surprising that an older gentleman would look for a younger woman. That's news. The Bible is always showing us this new stuff. So he could have been a man in his 60s or, or late 60s or we don't know. And he might have had a wife who was 25 years old. The attraction for her would have been the stability of a patriarchal home, maybe money, livelihood, etc. Look at someone again and say, that. that's very surprising. That a younger woman would want to be with an older man who had a little bit of money. This is new stuff. Mind blown. Either way, this is messed up. However you look, Leviticus 18, for, it, for, it would forbid this type of relationship. But Paul says this, even the promiscuous, ridiculous society that you live in doesn't do this nonsense. Paul says you're worse than people who are non-believers, who don't profess Jesus as Lord. They reject that because sometimes believers do worse things than non-believers. Hold on. Don't, Lord, do not let them judge me because of this message. Some of you all are taking your cards and you're putting it back into your, that's fine. Because sometimes believers do worse things than non-believers. When that happens, when you've been hurt by someone in the church far worse than someone else, don't look around and wonder what's happened. This has always happened. But why? Why is it happening in Corinth? Because the people in Corinth just came out of the world. The reason why we have people in the church that still do some crazy stuff is because they probably just came out of the world. 
What you think when you walk in, all of a sudden, all of those addictions and all those problems and all that stuff, this is, some of the worst folks are up in here. And this is where you need to be. This is a, more like a hospital. This is what, what we're getting at because we're, we're longing for people to come out of the world and step into Jesus and start looking more like him. Day by day by day, we just walk with them. Because I know a lot of y'all and not, I mean, who's looking like Jesus today? Lord, help us. You know, when I find it the easiest to serve God, when uh, I go on like a men's retreat, you know, you all been on a men's retreat before. It's all guys. So you're already just having a fun time. You're golfing, you're doing stuff, you're playing cards. And then it's like, oh, we're here about God. We're here to get our stuff together. And then you hear the word. And you're like, amen, 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 amen. So if you got some problems, you ain't going about to break out your computer at the men's retreat. Okay, what? People aren't tracking with me today. You, you don't want to be that guy on the men's retreat. You're just with guys doing the guy stuff, being about Jesus. And if you got a problem, we'll just talk it out just like men. And you, and, but you know what happens? You come back from a men's retreat and you're like, I'm ready to follow God. Because you had three days where you had to be righteous, where you had to be Christian, where everybody was gathering together. It's always easy to serve God when you're in an isolated community of Christians. You guys are the best people on Sunday mornings from 10 to 1 o'clock. Hallelujah. We would, come on. This is such a great Christian place to be. It's awesome. You Christian folks, but... We're all here to be more Christian-y today. That's why I'm here. I'm not going to be cussing and yelling. I'm just here to be Christian-y. It's Christian-y. That's not what we do here. And then when somebody acts up once in a while, they don't know the script that they're supposed to be acting Christian-y, we start looking at them funny like, what's wrong with these people? They don't understand about the holiness and the righteousness and the sanctification in this of myself. It's easy to be so Christian-y with you all. But the problem is that is not where I am called to live. I can't do my Christianity here 24-7. We don't have enough money to rent this theater 24-7 where I can just live in this Christian colony or something. But we're called to do our Christian-iness in a world and in a culture that is very casual towards our immorality. They don't care about your immorality. So you have to constantly fight and say, I'm going to care about my immorality because I'm following God. But all of my, you saw the panel. These people were clapping over stuff that I feel is immoral. How do I live in a world where my immorality is so casual? No one around me cares. That's why sometimes when you go to Las Vegas, no one is Christian-y there. And if you're here with me and you go to church with me, you probably ain't that Christian-y either. Now, I'm not saying Las Vegas. I'm sure there's a lot of good golf courses there and other fun stuff to do. I'm just giving an idea. I don't want. The question I have is this. How do you live a moral life in an immoral world? See, and don't get me wrong, God created intimacy between a husband and a wife as something amazing that can bring happiness and fulfillment. I'm not talking about that, but we live in a culture that says your relationships can be casual, temporary, physical, and self-fulfilling. Ashley Madison, who wants to have an affair today? Fifty Shades of Grey. Let's rent that. Let's rent that. Just go to the grocery store and the TVs and the magazines and you're like, wow, wow, what is this? I'm just be, this is just all being exposed. We're more concerned with whether or not Lamar Odom gets better than the fact that he spent 75 grand at a brothel. We don't bat an eye at these sexual behaviors. 
It's the world we live in. When a teenager asks me, well, pastor, come on, there's not nothing wrong with making out. Is there? As long as you are careful. Did you make out when you were young? And uh, how? <laughs> then you start lying. Like, no, 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 no. I took a vow of celibacy. I wore a ring uh, for my, what do you say? So casual. You're just prude. And then an older person comes along. Shouldn't we take till death do us part out of the marriage ceremony? You know, I mean, come on. You expect us to this to last forever? And there was a divorce seminar where one woman stood up and said, I have no intention of ever marrying anyone again after what I went through. But I don't plan on going without sex. Or you, you all hearing what I'm saying? Or, 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 or I'm, I'm just a t- I just work in a topless thing and I'm a Christian. I believe. See, <laughs> see, Paul's attitude and actions might cause some offense, and I just wanted to prep you. But let us let the word read us today. The first thing Paul does is this. And if you're taking notes, write this down. First thing is Paul is shocked by their sin. Let me say that again. This doesn't sound deep. It doesn't sound fantastic. But Paul is shocked. Look at someone say he's shocked. Let that sink in. Is there anything that shocks you anymore? Is there anything that shocks you anymore? Have we become so desensitized? When I was a high school kid, do you know that Christians would go out and boycott theaters for immoral movies? Those movies would be on PBS now. I don't even remember what they were, but they weren't good anyway. But they would be on PBS. No one would care about even watching them. But we as a church and as a culture are losing our ability to be shocked. Well, pastor, I've seen so much, I can't go back. Do you realize that Paul saw stonings? We know for a fact, Stephen, before his very eyes, have you ever seen someone get stoned to death? He had a high shock value. This, it wasn't like, oh, this is so bad. You know, he saw some things. It probably seared his conscience. We know later on in his life, it, there was this weightiness to, to what he had done to the church, how he had persecuted the churches. But Paul reset his system and allowed himself to be overcome and shocked and dismayed by the things that God is shocked over. You have to be shocked at what God is shocked at. And if you don't know, let's talk about it. Ask a friend, ask a pastor, would God care about this? God not only cares, he is shocked by your behavior. The second thing he does, he's shocked by the attitude of the church. You're boasting? The church didn't even think that there was a problem with this. That's what we have to let resonate. The church didn't even think it was a problem. They might have even been proud, as the text suggests, and boasting over this guy who's sleeping with his stepmom. Well, we go to a church and we do accept everyone, even Johnny. Oh, who? I mean, how? Hey, how you doing? You're with Johnny. Yeah. So you're his girl. Oh, you're his mom, too. Okay. Welcome. Don't judge. Don't judge. Miss Johnny, because we don't know the parameters around it, because as long as Johnny stays active in the church, it's really nobody's business what he does in private. Besides, he's younger than her, and they seem to have a very meaningful relationship. We need to affirm them, not judge them, because, you know, Johnny's a good giver, too. I mean, we don't know. What parameters? 
we accept. And Paul, now you got to really put this into context. Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you all to gather together in the name of our Lord. And I want you to excommunicate that brother. I want you to kick him out of the church. (laughs) Gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I don't want you to come together all dramaful. You know how people act. I don't come together quarrelsome. Let's sing a few worship songs and allow the love of God to be present in all of our hearts. This is not a lynch mob. It's not vigilantes. There's no... There's no feelings in this. We're here to worship in the name of our Lord and in the spirit and the power of Christ. See, there's something powerful when you gather in the name of Christ. And the hope is this. If you come together in love and in worship and in the name of Christ, that it might bring a person to his senses and cause him to see beyond himself at what he is doing and cause him to repent. If we rationalize sin, we won't do anything to change. But if a person who loves us comes to us and confronts us with what we are doing and we're forced to look at our lives through a different eyes, we begin to examine ourselves. See, this is what happened to King David. Everyone was cool. Plus he was the king. You didn't want to get your head chopped off. Plus he was a pretty mighty warrior, but Nathan, the prophet had enough strength to come in love and say, hey, someone has been stealing sheep. What should we do to him? You are that man, David. You all know the story. And David says, I have sinned against no one but God. And he exposed his lust and his adultery and his murder and deceitfulness. Why did Nathan go to David? He went to him to save him. To redeem him from the path he was on. To love someone enough to save them is a very courageous act. But it'll never happen if you operate under the principle of this we don't want to rock the boat. But Paul goes deeper. He says this action won't just save that person. It will save the entire church. And he gives us the principle, a little leaven will work through the whole lump. On the first day of the Passover, all leaven will be removed as a symbol of Israel's liberation from the sins of Egypt. So they would remove all of the leaven. No leaven could be present in the bread that was eaten in the Passover meal or there would be a risk of contamination. Here's why Paul gives us this analogy, and I'm going to close with this idea. As a church, we will always adjust to whatever we tolerate. We will always adjust to whatever we tolerate. If you're taking notes, write that down. That's the point of the leaven. It doesn't just come in and end there. If you, if you tolerate it, it will begin to spread until all of us will tolerate it. If you don't speak against violence, we'll become more violent. If we don't speak against materialism, we'll, we will become materialistic. And church, if we don't speak out against immorality, we will become immoral. We will become whatever we tolerate. May we not tolerate sin in the camp. Lift your hands with me. Father, this is a weighty word, and it speaks to our culture. It speaks to our our lives. It speaks to our homes. It speaks not just to here when we're all gathered together, but it speaks to our everyday lives. Help us, God, not not to judge out of spitefulness or we're doing, but God, let there be a real spirit of love in this place where we're able to bring people back, even from the darkest of places, 
because, God, we want them to be redeemed. We don't want them to miss you in any aspect of their lives. And, God, now I pray for every person with their hand lifted up that you would help us, God, overcome the immorality in our lives. Holy Spirit, do a deeper work. We've been crying for that. Take us higher. Take us deeper. So, Lord, we ask that you work these things out in us and in our lives today, God. Let it be, let it, let it be a sweet fragrance in our hearts and in our minds, God, as we consider you and the righteousness, God. Be holy, for I am holy, God. Let, that, let, that, let us be overwhelmed by the reality of that verse. And Lord, I'm the first one to say, God, help me. If there's anyone else that says, God, help me, just say it now. God, help me. And he will. Father, bless your precious people. Be with us as we continue working out being the church. In the mighty name of Jesus, let the church say, Joey, I'm going to have you come on back up just for a second. Uh, while we're all gathered here and the presence of the Lord is with us, we have another very uh, spiritual, holy thing that's about to happen right now. And so you see I'm moving as far back as possible because some families, they roll kind of deep. <laughs> they roll deep. And so I'm going to ask if uh, the arsenal and Alexander family would come forward. for them all to come up. And if we could have uh, Pastor Keith and Linnea kind of stand as closest to me and then the grandparents to follow and then everyone else uh, behind them. Uh, This is the point where you can pull out your cell phones and take a photo. Uh, I'm excited uh, about uh, today for many reasons, but uh, number one reason is uh, Keith and Linnea are, are a huge part of my life and a huge part of our church family, uh, one of my closest friends and confidants, and I have been working out tirelessly for the last six months so that I'll be able to hold young Camden. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I didn't want to cramp up. Uh, it looks like Linnea is holding a seven-year-old. The Bible says that yet it was you who took me from the womb. Uh, You kept me safe in my mother's breasts, and on you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. And the birth of a child is an amazing thing. Even more amazing is what happens as this child begins to grow. And in what seems like overnight, an infant so vulnerable and dependent becomes a child, like young Bubba right there. Hey, Kai, they start growing and their body matures and their mind begins to develop and their spirit grows. And as parents, you all have the wonderful opportunity to witness it all, as well as the great responsibility to guide young Camden in this process. The Bible says that you covered me in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, all my days were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. The Bible tells us that all of our children belong to God and are entrusted into our hands for but a season. And when my wife looks at Camden, she starts thinking about having more kids. You don't, they, don't, they don't get that cute that often, uh, but she lucked out with this guy. But parenting at its best is just a calling from God through those years to love and protect, to challenge, and to gradually release these precious children. 
But the good news is that you all don't have to do this alone. This room is filled with many hearts and hands that God has drawn together into a family of faith. And within the body of Christ, no parent ever stands alone. No child is without many spiritual aunts and uncles and sisters and brothers. And we're all here to help bear this awesome and exciting responsibility of raising little Camden. And we all ask the same questions. Will he grow up and have faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Will he have an opportunity to hear the stories of Jesus? And will the Lord's words be lived out in him so that he will know the truth and that one day that truth will set him free? Will he be encouraged to walk by faith little by little? Be forgiven when he falls and be challenged to one day take the greatest journey of all to follow Christ into the waters of baptism and beyond. These aren't just questions we're asking you. This is the questions that we're asking as a church. And Keith and Linnea, many people in this room have watched both of you all grow up and become the people you have become and the pillars uh, in our church and in this community. And you've brought your son before this congregation to consecrate him to the Lord and dedicate yourself to the task of parenting. The time has come for some promises that need to be made on your part. Will you both pledge to support and love Camden by providing the opportunity for him to grow up in the family of faith with the hope that he will someday confess Jesus as his own teacher, Lord, and Savior? If so, say, we will. And will you, to the best of your ability and with God's help, provide a loving family environment in which Camden can grow in love, loyalty, and obedience to Jesus? If so, say, we will. And will you encourage Camden to grow in faith so that he might later be received into the fellowship of the saints by water baptism, the outward sign of personal faith in Jesus, fully partaking in the work and worship of the church? If so, say, we will. Do you agree that if Camden makes it into the NFL, you will take care of the Cersei family and help my retirement account? If so, say, we will. We're just gonna wait. And now there's a uh, Camden, he raised his hand. You saw that Camden raised his hand. He said, I'm with you, Pastor. And now I wanted to make mention of the wonderful people standing around you, the Arsenals who I've known for such a long time, and uh, Mr. Alexander. And uh, I, uh, I just wanted to say that we know uh, that Miss Alexander is also one of the great saints in the cloud of witnesses around us right now, watching this moment. But to you grandparents, I wanna say, blessed is the child who has faithful, loving grandparents. Not only do you who stand with this young family today thoroughly enjoy and help nurture this precious child in your own unique way, you also support his parents through the wonder-filled and sometimes frustrating process of parenting. How many grandparents know you're pretty involved? Will you likewise pledge to support and encourage and love Camden and his parents through these awesome years to the best of your ability? If so, say, we will. And now I want to ask this congregation to stand. God never intended for you all to walk this path alone. It takes a church to help raise a child in faith. So I ask you who are gathered here to take seriously your responsibility in Christ Jesus. If you accept the call to be the community of faith to Camden and his parents, would you respond to this pledge with me? Do you congregation promise with humility and seriousness to share in this child's nurture and well-being? To support by your example and words their, their efforts to provide a loving and caring home where trust in God grows and Christ's way is chosen. If so, say, we will. Will you pray with them and for them? And will you share your life and witness with this family and help make their task both joyful and fruitful? If so, say, we will. All right, this, this is the fun part.
Light-skinned people are the cutest. Church, I want you to stretch your hands forward. Hallelujah. Father, we come to you today. And we lift up Camden, John, Alexander to you. Father, we bless him right now. May he be the head and not the tail. Bless his going in and his coming out. Father, I thank you, God, that you will bestow upon him great wisdom and honor in his life, God, that he would be a sign and a wonder in the earth, God. Father, that your hand would be upon him, even as we're lifting him up, God. Father, continue to lift him up closer to you, even as your word says that you will draw people unto yourself, God. Let there be a Holy Spirit-inspired drawing in his life, that even as uh, John was filled in his mother's room, God, fill him with a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit, God. Let there be a fire in his belly, God, welling up from a young age, God. I pray, God, that you would touch his mind, touch his faculties, touch his body, God. Continue to be the source of his life and his strength, God. And we as your congregation gather together in your presence, God, we dedicate him unto you. Father, he's yours. Grow him into a mighty warrior in the faith. Father, bless him. Make your face shine upon him and give him peace throughout his life, God. And bless him with many years, we pray, my God for your glory and for your name's sake. Today, God, we dedicate Camden, John, Alexander in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let the church say amen. this family, my arms were shaking when I just did that. As this family goes back to their seat, give someone a hug and you can be seated in the presence of the Lord.